This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila, Lynn and Sharad. First up, we're looking into the raid that happened at Shagrilla, Shagrilla, a Halloween party that was at Rexcale over the weekend. So... Some details, I think, before we get into it. Uh, on Saturday night, Jawi broke up a Halloween party at Rexcale called Shagrilla and arrested 20 people for cross-dressing and allegedly encouraging vice, uh, which is quite a vague-sounding term. More on that later. There have been many videos circulating on social media where the attendees dressed in their Halloween finest were seen standing around as police officers shouted instructions in the hall. And um, ostensibly, or this is what's emerged, I think, over various tweets, and Instagram stories from the people who were there. At about 10, um, about 40 religious officers backed by the police came into the venue, stopped the music and dancing. They asked people to form two lines based on gender. They examined their appearance. They asked them some questions. And 20 people were arrested uh, and transported in Black Maria's um, at slightly past midnight, taken into custody at the Jawi office. All those detained have since been released after the magistrate rejected requests to remand them. So what's interesting on a, on a very kind of a superficial level is the fact that all this was happening live and was being live tweeted. People got a sense, I mean, beyond those inside that venue, they uh, people outside got a sense of what was happening, uh, some of the anxieties. And, you know, it sort of amplified, I think, uh, the importance of uh, this particular moment because it seemed so unnecessary for some people. It seemed like, uh, you know, the authorities were overstepping their jurisdiction. There was a private party, and what we've learned since is that uh, there was, in fact, a police go-ahead with the, with this event. Um, and then, the, this, the, on a very basic level, I think this terrifies all of us: the invasion of our private space. You know that you know t- decisions that we make about ourselves, our bodies, can be subject to um, to authorities when no seeming crime has uh, taken place. So you mentioned that it was happening live. One of the results of that, of course, was a lot of attention uh, was brought upon this raid. Um, and, and thankfully so, I would say, because it also helped in terms of legal aid being given to those who needed it, uh, particularly to those who were rounded up and taken to the police. And I think about how terrifying all of this must have been, right? You just go out to have fun. Um, it's it's near Halloween. It's a costume party. Um, and then you end up in the police station. And most people don't actually know how how to deal with that or in many cases what you've even done wrong you know and this is also extraordinary when you consider the the global i think headlines about uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia allowing for Halloween to mm. take place. Uh, but, you know, coming back to the question of uh, how you feel when you are arrested, uh, I'm not making reference to anybody in this room, but we know some people have been arrested and have had that experience. Um, but, you know, um, and, and you're never really truly prepared, no matter how much you read about it. Um, the presence of a sympathetic lawyer on your side really does help you um, project your own rights and sort of get that uh, correct, I think. I just wanted to re-emphasize once more uh, that the reason why we're using private 
place or, or private spaces is because that's what this... I mean, I, I know that there have been conversations about, you know, it's a public setting or this is a public space, but it was a private party. And um, as you mentioned, Sherrod, they had the permits. Um, they had spoken to the police. The it, This is not one of those instances in which you can say that the party organisers didn't do things by the book. And I think that that is why there was an expectation that this would have gone on um, smoothly because everything prior to the party had actually been been done properly. And that's where a lot of the outcry is coming from as well, um, aside from looking particularly at the the, the charges being levelled against the people who were taken away uh, initially at the time, as well as also the, the group of people who were at the party. Yeah, and, and the sorts of personal freedoms we might or yeah. might not allow certain groups of people. Um, anyway, we are talking about the raid that happened over the weekend at Rex KL. Let us know what's your take on what happened you can call double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp, or send us a voice note zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we'll be speaking with criminal lawyer Tiara Katrina Fuad. So keep it here on the evening edition, BFM eighty nine point nine. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. It's 5.14. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila, Lynn and Sharad. We are talking about the raid that happened over the weekend at a party at Rex KL. Um, and we're asking you, what's your take on what happened? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp, zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can send us a voice note there as well or tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, joining us on the line to help understand what happened and the legalities involved is criminal lawyer Tiara Katrina Fuad. Tiara, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So first off, how did you come to know about the raid and what was your reaction to it? Um, I found out about it because I saw quite a number of people on my timeline tweeting about it um, with all the photos and all the videos. And I remember my initial reaction was just, I, I think I was really upset. And I remember immediately rushing to my sister's room, you know, and both of us were just um, talking about how unfair it is that these people were subjected to that kind of show of force on Halloween um, for just the way they dressed. So I was really upset. And I think I think more people should be upset about it, no, no matter our disagreements with, you know, their their way of life and things like that. There's a minimum threshold of treatment that I think humans deserve um, in terms of being treated with dignity. And all of us should be defending that and, and all of us should be upset when that threshold isn't met. So talk us through the laws that PDRM and Jawi were enforcing in this case. Um, I think that that's going to require a bit of speculation because there's it, it's not so clear who was being arrested for what. But generally, um, from the information that was coming out on social media, I was made to understand that a number of people were made to take urine samples, right? I think I think a number of people said that. And so if that's true, then that means that the police were exercising their powers of arrest under the Dangerous Drugs Act. So Section 31 specifically grants them the power to arrest anyone whom they have reason to believe have committed an offense under that act. So um, consuming dangerous drugs or trafficking and things like that. 
from there, because um, if anyone is arrested, that then gives them the power under Section 31A to take a urine sample. Um, so that's if they were arrested by PDRM. But if they were arrested for Jawi, so I have to qualify, I'm not a Sharia lawyer. But um, so, but I do, I am a little familiar with the offenses. So my understanding is they would have, they were arrested for, there's a provision in the Sharia laws, it depends, state by state have different enact, enactments, but the substance of the law on, on this particular offense is virtually the same. And um, if they were exercising um, their powers via the, the federal territories enactment, then it would have been an offense under Section 28 um, for men who dress or act like women. And I was also made to understand that there were also possibly arrests for mangalakan maksiat, whatever that means. Yeah, and we actually, we'd like you to explain uh, a little bit about what that could mean. But before that, I want to ask you, that when you have these two agencies come together, uh, the police and the religious enforcement, it, it, is there a level of premeditation that they came together because they thought this was an instance where they could, in fact, get people on a variety of charges? I think that was the case. I think definitely was that was the case. Generally, um, with the religious authorities, when we're talking about Jawi or Jais, they tend to act on complaints, right? So there would have been a complaint about an event. They would have been aware about possibly the scale of the event. And um, I think it's very possible. In fact, it's, it's likely, I think, that then there would have been some kind of coordination with PDRM to, to be able to handle the crowd and things like that. So you've pointed out elsewhere problems in how this raid was conducted. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. So um, I think the starting point is that we have to recognize most of those people weren't allowed to leave, right? And there's this concept in law called a constructive arrest, meaning even if they don't tell you you're under arrest, but if you're not allowed to leave a particular area, if you're being guarded and things like that, that for the purposes of the law can be recognized as a constructive arrest. So the question that I'm asking as a, as a, a criminal lawyer is if they were being arrested, who was doing the arrest and on what basis, right? So like I said earlier, um, the police would have had that power to arrest for, if they had reason to believe that um, that um, someone was doing, someone committed an offense under the Dangerous Drugs Act. So that reason for believing had to exist before they effected the arrest. So you can't tell me, I, I don't think it would withstand scrutiny for you to argue that you had that reason to believe that people were consuming drugs by the mere fact that they attended a private event. So that's one problem, right? that that would challenge the validity of the arrest if it was affected by PDRM. Second, um, then that would go into the question of whether it was legal, right, for them to take those urine samples because um, the power to take those urine samples only apply to arrested persons. So an argument could be made that that must mean validly arrested persons. And if they weren't validly arrested, then you didn't validly have the power to take their urine samples. Um, I also want to point out 
that under the law of Section 31A, the person that's legally empowered to take that urine sample is a medical officer. So there is an exception within that section that says the police can take that sample, but it can only be in circumstances where it's not reasonably practicable for the medical officer to take that sample. So I think that's also a question that deserves to be asked. Why wasn't it medically, sorry, why wasn't it reasonably practicable for those urine samples to be taken by a medical officer? Because I think my understanding is they were taken by the police. The third thing is if everyone was being arrested and detained by Jawi, then clearly some of those arrests would have been illegal because Jawi only has the power and jurisdiction to arrest Muslims, right? And and I'm sure there were a significant, if not substantial, number of, of people in that crowd that were non-Muslims. Um, the fourth thing is if it was a mix, if it was a mix of some of them were arrested by PDRM, some of them were arrested by Jawi, were they told that? Because you have a right to be told the grounds of your arrest. Um, and, and you have to do that as, as soon as reasonably practicable. So I think the whole um, um, way that, that the, the raid was conducted and the arrests and the detention, that leaves a, a lot of questions that, that I think deserve to be answered about the legality of those actions. We have a question from a listener, Anil, who says, so what happens to the people who were detained? Um, would PDRM get to keep their records? And if they do, would this affect their future, having to have a, a police record? Um, so, so that depends, right? Um, if I understand the question correctly, the first part of the question is who would have had jurisdiction? So that's why I think that highlights even more the importance of being clear for the grounds of your arrest, because PDRM does not have the jurisdiction to to you know properly investigate um, offenses under the Sharia enactments. Likewise, neither do Jawi have the the um, jurisdiction or the power to investigate offenses under the DDA. So, if Anil's question is is who gets which person? then that really depends on the basis of their arrest. And um, if the, to the second part of the question, do they have to worry about some kind of record? So, so in Malaysia, the, the only real kind of record that you have to worry about is, is a record of a conviction. And even then, that's not for every offense. So you'd have to look, if there was a conviction, whether that particular conviction falls within the schedule in the Registration of Criminal Offenses Act. And if it does, then you'd have to worry about a record. Now, we understand uh, from one of the uh, 20 who was arrested who tweeted about uh, what uh, they claim to be highly personal nature of questions asked by Jawi officials. Uh, for instance, have, have they had unnatural sex? Have they taken hormones? Have they had surgery? I'm assuming this is a sex uh, reassignment surgery. Uh, is there any clarity on what is and what is an appropriate line of questioning in that context? So again, I think I have to qualify by saying <clears throat> I'm not a Sharia lawyer, assuming we're talking about the questions asked by Jawi. But what I can say, if there is any kind of analogy between the provisions in the Sharia enactments um, and the criminal procedure code or the equivalent procedural provisions in um, non-Sharia criminal laws, 
and I'm looking, um, Sharad, as well at the at the law, um, the Sharia law. They're only um, empowered to ask questions about the case, and that's the same when we talk about um, non-Sharia criminal investigations. If I'm arrested, for example, for for murder, palis palis, um, then the police can't ask me, or they, or they're not empowered by the statute to ask me questions about my personal life or or things related completely unrelated to that investigation and when i'm looking at the provisions in the equivalent sharia law it's similar it's similar the questions have to relate to the case so i think that that is problematic i'm not sure what the recourse would be in sharia law and the legal effect of that whether that nullifies the arrest or the detention or the charge um, but but I do think there's a legal ground to question the correctness of those questions. Tiara, you know, obviously being caught up in something like this can be deeply disconcerting and, and terrifying, honestly. How, what is important for the public to know if they're ever caught in such a raid? Um, I think the first thing, I mean, it may be very tempting. I, I completely understand, you know, you're so overwhelmed with emotions there must be so much anger and frustration and sadness. But what I would caution against is, is um, how you react to the police. Because in that moment, unfortunately, um, for better or for worse, right, they, they hold a lot of power. So no matter your beliefs, or, or which may even be legally grounded, right, about the rightness and the legality of what they may be doing, generally the advice, generally, is to first comply. Because you don't want to be faced um, with a situation where you're subsequently charged for obstructing a public officer in the discharge of their functions. Sure, you could argue they weren't properly discharging their functions when, when they were doing something illegal, but that may not preclude you having to face a criminal charge um, in the first place. So, so um, one, so be careful that the general advice is not to resist, comply where you can. Second, the most important thing I think you should do in those circumstances is contact a family member, tell them where you are, tell them where you're going, tell them the offense that you're being um, arrested for, and then get them as soon as possible to relay all of that information to a lawyer so that the lawyer can find you and the lawyer has some information to, to work with by the time that they arrive. And then the third thing I would say is if you're being you're, you're prevented from leaving, right, any particular situ, situ, um, any particular place, ask them, one, if you're under arrest and two, if, if they're, they say explicitly that you are under arrest, make sure you ask for your grounds of arrest because that that legally will be important later. We have um, 30 seconds left with you. Now, it has been pointed out that this was a private event. There were proper permissions and licenses obtained. Does that have any bearing on the rights of Jawi and PDRM to rate the event? I think it has less less of an impact on PDRM's powers to, to rate that event because, um, because of the nature of the offence. But if you look at Section 28, the offence is dressing or acting like a woman in public, Right. So if it was a private event, the question I would ask is, um, did you then have reason to believe there was an offense if 
that behavior was conducted, if they were dressing that way or acting that way in a private place. So so for Jawi, I would say that it might have some bearing. Tiara, thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks again for having me. That was criminal lawyer Tiara Katrina Fuad. We've been speaking about the raid that happened at Rex Kale over the weekend. Send your thoughts through. You can call us, WhatsApp us, tweet us, send us a voice note. You've been listening to the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.